We looked tonight, as we talked about a little bit this morning, about temptation and and being tempted and temptation not being a sin, but only following through with the temptation is. And Bo reminded me a while ago that temptation is actually a singing group from the early days of the 70s. So anyway, I'd forgotten about that, so (laughs) had to be reminded. But Satan does tempt those who follow Jesus. If we're following Jesus, doing what he wants to do, denying self, taking up a cross daily and following him... Temptation will come. Satan does want to tempt us in particular. And so we want to look specifically tonight at a group of people starting in Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Uh, Jesus has called his 12 disciples to the final Passover meal. And on this very evening, he would be arrested. The next day, he would be crucified. And so he tells Simon that evening, Simon, Simon, Satan asked to sift you as wheat. And he used the word Simon up until this point. He'd been calling him Peter and it's coming to the end of the ministry, but he calls him, he reverts back to calling him Simon. And so we're going to see why in just a moment. But he says he wants to sift you a sweet. I underline the word you there because you is plural in this verse right here. In other words, he was saying Simon, Simon, Satan and asked to sift y'all as sweet. Now the Hebrew, I mean the Greek uh, word there is they don't have a y'all in Hebrew. And so they put you, but we in the South put y'all, so it's plural. And uh, he's talking to the group as a whole, but he's singling out, he's, he's looking at Simon or looking at Peter and saying to him, y'all. And just like it is in a group sometimes, we're talking to a group and we're saying, uh, y'all, are, y'all need to settle down, but we may be looking at one person. Well, that's what he's doing here. He's looking at one person, saying Simon, but talking to the whole group as, as a whole. So I wanted to point that out on you being plural, because in a little bit we're going to see it go back to singular for a particular reason. But he says he wants to sift you. Satan wants to sift you as wheat. So what does sifting mean? To shake violently. What they would do in that day and time, they would take the wheat and they would put it in a, a wire area, made of not made of wire, they didn't have wire, but something made of uh, thrash they would put together and cross and, and put the holes in it and they would separate the wheat from the chaff the good from the bad, the useful from the non-useful. And so he's using that illustration of what Satan wanted to do to him, but they would shake it violently and the good stuff would fall out and the bad stuff stay up and they would have something useful and something to throw away. But he said he wants to do you the same way. He wants to shake you violently. He wants to agitate you, Simon, and all of you disciples. He wants to separate the wheat from the chaff that is the useful from the non-useful. And so Satan has that in mind for you and I even today. He wants to sometimes shake us violently. He wants to agitate us. And sometimes we get agitated, don't we? Or maybe you have a friend that gets agitated sometimes. You know, and you know what the word agitate means. You, you just, you kind of fired up. You kind of, you know, you're kind of getting uh, beside yourself a little bit. You're kind of losing self-control as we talked about this morning. And so that's what Satan wants to do. Through it. He wants to agitate us. He wants to uh, shake us violently because he wants to separate the good from the bad he wants to pull us away from Christ. He wants us, as Kyle put it Wednesday night, when bad things happen, we're either going to run toward God or we're going to run away from God. And so that's what Satan wants to do with us. He wants to see if we're going to run toward God. Jesus believes we're going to run toward him in the bad times. But Satan says, I believe if I can shake them hard enough, they're going to run away from God. And so that's what he wanted to do with Simon and the other disciples that evening. And so he says to him, Satan wants to sift y'all as wheat, uh, Simon and all the rest of the disciples. So seeking to shake the disciples violently. That is just simply trying to get them 
Stop serving Jesus. Just separate from Jesus. Just pull away from Jesus. Just don't follow Him anymore. Don't be dedicated to Him anymore. Don't be committed to Jesus anymore. You go in your own way. You go back to fishing or you go back to what you were doing prior to meeting Jesus. But anyway, He said, I want you to shake, I want, Satan wants to shake, shake you so violently that you'll just pull away from Jesus and stop serving Him. That is the useful from the non-useful. So how did Satan see this opportunity? Why this evening? What did he see about them that evening that he would say, I want to sift Simon and all the other disciples so they'll hopefully pull away from Jesus. Why did he do that this evening? What is his opportunity all about? Because that's what he look, looks for. Satan looks for an opportunity to tempt us. At a moment in time when we least expect it, that's why we've got to be self-controlled, as we talked about this morning. That's why we have to be alert, because at any time Satan sees an opportunity to sift us as sweet, to try to separate us from Jesus, to tempt us, then he's going to do it. So why this evening? Why this opportunity right here? Well, because as we look back, we back up in chapter 22 a little bit and get what they were doing that evening. Luke chapter 22, verse 19, and he took bread. So they're, they're having the Passover meal. The disciples are all gathered around Jesus in this room, the upper room as we call it, as Jesus called it even. And he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave it, to, gave it to them, gave it to the disciples and said, this is my body. This bread I'm giving you is my body. It represents me. Uh, do this in remembrance of me. And so he's given them the bread as we often do when we have our Lord's Supper. Uh, Jesus was doing there with the bread. Well, in the same way, after the supper, he gave them the bread, broke it, gave it to them, do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And saying to them, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This wine that we have in this cup is a new covenant in my blood. It represents my blood, which is poured out for you. And so Jesus was saying his body and his blood was given to them in remembrance of him, of a symbol of what he had done for them and for us, breaking his body, blood being spilled, and therefore he's creating a new covenant between us and God. But while he's doing that, that very next verse says, But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with me at the table. And maybe we know who he means by that in verse 21. Do we know who he's talking about? Judas Iscariot, isn't it? Judas Iscariot was there at the table. He's part of this ceremony that evening. He's part of the Passover meal. But he's already made a deal with the Jews to turn in Jesus, to betray Jesus for how much? 30 pieces of silver. And so he's already made that deal, and Jesus is saying to them, but hand of me who is go- the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine at the table. He's right here with me, this person is, meaning Judas, but he didn't say his name. And the Son of Man will go as been decreed. As God is already set up, God's will is already in place. The man, Son of Man, Jesus, the, the Messiah, the, the Christ, is going to go as he's decreed, going to the cross to be crucified. But woe to that man who betrays him. Woe to that person. I don't envy the person. I don't look forward to the person doing that. But nevertheless, though the one who betrays them is woe to that man. Well, not done yet. So then all the others are sitting there thinking, wait a minute. They began to question among themselves which one of them it might be who would do this. And can't you just see them? Uh, we see a picture sometimes of the, a table set up. And all the disciples around the table, they didn't have a table that night. They're actually on the floor. They're on pillows. And they have their feet reclined out behind them. And they, 
are on pillows facing each other within the middle there, and the bread and the wine's moving around, and so they're actually on the floor. But can't you just see them, visualize all these disciples along with Jesus there on the floor, eating what we call the Lord's Supper, the Passover meal to them, and they begin to question among themselves. You know, can't you see Simon saying to his brother Andrew, Andrew, you wouldn't do this, would you? You wouldn't betray our Lord, would you? And can't you see John saying to his brother James, James, you, you wouldn't do this, would you? And Matthew saying to Simon the Zealot, Simon, you, you wouldn't do this. You know, I wouldn't. And, you, and so they're just questioning among themselves who would do this. We can't believe somebody would. And you wouldn't and I wouldn't. And so they're just questioning among themselves who might would do this. But also they're not doing that only. Also, a dispute arose among them as to which one of them was going to be the greatest. So there they are, first of all, Jesus saying, one of you is going to betray me. The one who is here with me is going to betray me. But you know what? They began to ask questions, which one? But only more than that, a dispute arose. What's a dispute? Argument. Argument, a debate. Anything else? Other words? Disagreement. Disagreement, okay. So some kind of argument, some kind of debate, some kind of disagreement. They're all in disagreement there. So here's everybody not only questioning, would you do it, Andrew? Would you do it, Simon? Would you do it, Philip? You know, But they begin to argue about it. A dispute arose among them. Not only who would betray him, but who's going to be the greatest? Well, Simon might say, well, <laughs> wouldn't be me betraying him because you know, I'm kind of Jesus' right-hand man. And, and John says, well, you know, uh, he loves me more than the rest of you anyway. Me and Jesus spend a lot of time together. And Peter, James, and John would say, well, the three of us went on the Mount of Transfiguration with him, so surely we're the greatest. And Peter even said, hey, I'm the one that walked on water. Remember, y'all stayed in the boat and I walked on the water. And so it's bound to be me as with him. And, you know, so they're just arguing, disputing about who's going to be the greatest and who he picked. And so Satan saw an opportunity, didn't he? See, in the middle of a dispute, in the middle of an argument, in the middle of a disagreement, Satan says, aha, Christians fight too. I'll jump in there and I'll tempt them to get mad and angry and upset and, and, and just say words they shouldn't say and do things they shouldn't say. And you know what's going to happen? Somebody's going to leave the church. Somebody's going to walk away and they won't come back because they're going to say, those people up there are just mad and I'm mad at them and I'm just not going back. I'll show God. I won't go back to church. That's real logical, isn't it? <laughs> I'll show God. I'll go, I won't go back to church. And, and so that's what they're talking about right here. They're getting mad. They're getting upset. They're getting all over each other. And they say, we'll just uh, get in a big argument about it. And I'll say, I'm better than you, and I'm better than you, and, and I've got a better seat than you got. And, and so they're at the Passover meal. <laughs> they're at the most intimate moment that Jesus shared in three and a half years with his disciples and what are they doing? They're arguing. Satan says, aha, I found an, uh, an opening here. I'm going to take a shot. But he'd already seen a pattern, you see. Because go to Mark chapter 9, verse 33. And it says, they, meaning the disciples and Jesus, came to Capernaum. This is earlier on in the ministry. This is not the night of the Lord's Supper. This is before that. And when he was in the house, talking about Jesus, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? And so there they come to Capernaum. There they are walking along the road. There he's, Jesus is in front of them, the disciples behind them, and he's hearing them. And so when he gets them settled into a house here in Capernaum, he says, hey, 
What were y'all arguing about? What were y'all disputing about? What were y'all disagreeing about? Oh, but they kept quiet. <laughs> Nobody said anything. You know, isn't it funny how when we called about something that we've done that we get real quiet sometimes? Oh, I don't know. It wasn't me. I hadn't said anything. Don't ask me. I don't know. Something Cheryl did. I mean, I don't know. Just ask her. I don't know. You know, and so we can get quiet sometimes. We don't know anything all of a sudden. I kept quiet because on the way, they had argued, here's that word again, about who was going to be the greatest. They did it on the night of the Passover meal when he was arrested and before he was crucified. They did it some months before that on the road to Capernaum. And they're simply arguing more than once about who's going to be the greatest. So this is going back in time here. And so there Satan again says, Aha, found an opportunity. They're going to argue about this again. I see an opportunity to go tempt them. Well, we're not done yet because they're not done yet. Matthew chapter 20, another time. Here's the third time. Then the mother of of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. Now, who are Zebedee's sons? Who are they? Okay. James and John, two brothers, sons of Zebedee. They also had the nickname Sons of Thunder. And so, therefore, they didn't come to Jesus and ask a favor of him. They didn't kneel down at Jesus and ask a favor. They got Mama to come. Now, there's something special about a Mama, isn't it? See, Mama can get things done that nobody else can get done. And if I go to somebody and ask a favor, that's one thing. But if I bring my mama, hey, mama, could you go ask a favor of somebody that, then that carries a little more weight, doesn't it? To get mama to go do it. And that's what they thought. Let's get mama to ask him. James, why don't you ask Jesus? Well, no, John, I'm not going to ask him. Why don't you ask him? Well, no, not me. You're, you know, you're, you're bigger than I am. Well, you're older than I am. And, well, let's go. Hey, let's get mama to do it. Okay, let's do that. So they get mama to go and ask Jesus, kneel down, ask Jesus' favor. And he asked her, said, what do you want? She said, grant, permit, allow it to happen that one of these two sons of mine, James or John, whichever, may sit at your right, James or John, whichever, and the other at your left in your kingdom. When you become king and you sit on your throne in your kingdom, let one of my two sons, James or John, on your left, one of my two sons, James or John, on your right, would you do that for my sons, Jesus? I mean, that would be great. They'd be like your vice presidents, you know, and, and they could do anything you didn't want to do, and you could send them out. Hey, James, go do this. John, go do that. Which one would be the greatest, you see? So more than one time in the ministry of three and a half years, they're arguing over who's going to be the greatest. They're debating who's going to be the greatest. They're looking at, I'm better than you are, so I should be at your left or your right. Well, you see, Satan saw this pattern develop. He saw the lives of the disciples arguing about it on the road, getting Mama involved, doing it at the Lord's Supper, uh, the Passover meal, and so he pounced on it of all places at the Passover meal. Why there? <laughs> it's the last time Jesus had with them. He's trying to have a moment in time, and as you read John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, You find it's a great moment that he has with the disciples, preparing them for his departure, getting them ready. And Satan says, that's got to be a good time because 
I can tempt them then. I've seen the pattern develop. They're going to argue about this more than once. They already have. And I can see an opportunity here in their life to do this. And so Satan would attempt to separate the disciples from Jesus, lead them to stop following him, and put the prayer of Je- but the prayer of Jesus was more powerful because fixing see the prayer. But you see how Satan does us the same way. Again, as we've talked about more than once, that Satan can't read our minds. He doesn't know what we're thinking right now. But he knows the patterns of our life. That when way back here somewhere, and it could be last week or last month or last year or 10 years ago or 20 years ago, he saw something happen in our life. He saw us react in a very non-spiritual, negative way when something happened. When we ran into this stand and we knocked it over, and Sherry was here and she saw it, and she got all upset and said, why did you do that? And we just told her a few things, told her off a little bit. And, uh, you know, Satan saw an opportunity there to come in. Well, then there comes this other time that we do something else. We knock this over. And then we get in disagreement with somebody about that. And then one day we knock over the chair, and then one day we hit this. And, and so each time something's happening, so there's a reaction going on there. And Satan says, I got a pattern going I see what happens every time something like that goes on and I see an opportunity to come in and tempt them to say all kinds of things, do all kinds of things and to separate them from following Jesus and just pull that relationship apart from Jesus and have them go my way instead of God's way. But wait a minute, Jesus was praying for them that night just as He is still with us today. Jesus said back in Luke twenty-two thirty-two. After he told Simon that he wanted Satan wanted to sift him as wheat, but say, but Simon, hold on, <laughs> Satan wants to sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith now your is singular. He's focusing Simon only, you only, right here. The others are still around, but he's focused on him, and it says that your faith may not fail. And when you singular, you Simon personally have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So Jesus knew what was going to happen. He could look in the future and he would see what was going to happen. But he's saying, Peter, Simon rather, I've been praying for you that your faith may not fail. Your faithfulness will not fail. Your commitment to me will not fail. Yes, on this evening, I know what's going to happen. And we talk, you know, you see about the rooster crowing and all that before daylight. Uh, You'll deny me three times. And that night, sure enough, Simon didn't even know Jesus, did he? You know, he told three different times during that evening, Jesus, I don't know the guy. Me with Jesus, I wouldn't dare be with Jesus. You know, that kind of thing. Well, his faithfulness failed. His faith didn't, but his faithfulness, the word faith there is faithfulness, being faithful, being committed to that moment. But when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. And so Jesus prayed that the faithfulness of Peter would not fail. And it didn't. Just for that moment in time, it did. But when he turns back, when he repents, go strengthen the other disciples. I can depend on you, can't I, Simon? I know you'll do it for me, won't you, Simon? And so he said, I want you to be faithful. I know your faithfulness is there, but it's complete trust and reliance in Jesus with a commitment to a relationship with him. So when he said this word here, but I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. He's talking about faithfulness, that your complete trust and reliance on me with a commitment to a relationship with me, that that won't fail. For that moment in time, it can, can't it? Because there's been moments in our life that we were not totally faithful to Jesus. Our complete trust and complete reliance on Him and our complete commitment to Him wasn't there. Was it just for that moment in time? But we came to that point of repentance 
And we turned from that time and we went back to Jesus. We ran back to Jesus and repented and asked Him to forgive us and He cleansed us and we developed that trust and reliance and commitment to Him once again. And then here's what happened. On the day of Pentecost, we moved, this is the Passover meal, 50 days later, the day of Pentecost appears, or comes rather, occurs, occurs 50 days after Passover, less than two months. Well, on the day of the Pentecost, on, that, on the day of Pentecost, Peter was there. But not only Peter, all the other disciples too. Now they were missing Judas, but they'd replaced Judas. And so now Peter and the other 11 are there, day of Pentecost. Uh, you know, the, the Holy Spirit descended, the speaking in tongues, and all that happened there in Acts chapter 2. And after all that's happening, everybody's wondering and curious about what's this all about? What does this mean? What's happening here today? Then Peter, not Simon, but Peter stood up with the eleven and he raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. All these people gathered around. What's going on here? What's this mean? What's this all about? And he said, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. And then he began to preach. And then after he got through preaching, people were saying, what should we do? What should we do? And he told them to repent and be baptized. And they were. And out of that day, this, the Bible says, 3,000 people got saved that day. Right there in Jerusalem, as Peter stood up to preach, three, or it said about 3,000 people got saved that day. And so only Peter could have done that. But you see what happened that evening Satan said, okay, I see an opportunity to come in here and divide these people out, separate these people out, get somebody upset, get a dispute going, and they'll just separate from Jesus because they'll be mad at each other and they won't come back and Jesus is going to die and you know this whole thing will be all over with. We'll sift you all as wheat. But he said, I prayed for you that your faithfulness will not fail. And sure enough, it didn't because in that day, only Simon Peter, only he had the ability and only he had the faithfulness and only he had commitment to turn back and say, Jesus, I follow you. And his faith did not fail. And that day he stood up, preached the message that only he could preach, and 3,000 people got saved. But see, that's how Satan does us today too, doesn't he? He looks at our patterns in life and he says, okay, if a dispute can arise here and an argument can arise here, and a disagreement can arise here, and something else can happen here. I see patterns in this person's life that when these things come up, they get mad, they get upset, they get distraught, they get whatever. Uh, you know, they, they find anger, they have unrepentance or, or unforgiveness or a whole history of whatever it may be, a pattern in their life. Satan says, there's an opportunity. I'm going for it, and I'm going to pull them away from Jesus. I just know I can. And so who's going to win that evening? Is Jesus going to win? or that morning, or that afternoon, or Saturday, or Friday, or whatever day it may be? Or is Satan going to win? Are we going to remain faithful to Jesus, follow Him no matter what, and find what He wants us to do for Him? What are we going to do when that time comes? Are we going to have that complete trust and complete reliance on Jesus with a commitment and relationship to Him no matter what, period, right behind it? What do we do this week? Because it could happen this week. Satan could come to us and he could tempt us. He could say, I want to try to pull you away from Jesus. I want to try to keep you separated from him and, and you withdraw from him and not run toward him, but run away from him. And I'm going to do all I can. Are we going to be ready? 
We're going to have the, the armor on. We're going to submit to Jesus and tell Satan no and watch him flee. We can do that every single time it happens this week. Let's be faithful to Jesus this week. No matter what happens, be faithful to Jesus.